Section 21 of the Underground Railroad, Part 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Underground Railroad, Part 3 by William Still. Section 21. Arrival from Washington, D.C., etc., 1857. George Carroll, Randolph Branson, John Claggart, and William Royan. These four journeyed from Egypt together, but did not leave the same kind protector. George was a full black, ordinary size, twenty-four years of age, and a convert to the doctrine that he had a right to himself. For years the idea of escape had been daily cherished. Five times he had proposed to buy himself, but failed to get a consent of his master, who was a merchant, C. C. Hirara, a man about sixty years of age and a member of the Methodist Church. His property in slaves consisted in two men, two women, two girls, and a boy. Three of George's brothers escaped to Canada many years prior to his leaving. There he hoped on his arrival to find them in a the possession of good farms. $1,300 walked off in the person of George. Randolph, physically, was a superior man. He was thirty-one years of age and of a dark chestnut color. Weary with bondage, he came to the conclusion that he had served the master long enough without privileges. Against his master, Richard Reed, he had no hard things to say, however. He was not a crabbed, cross man, had but little to say, but did not believe in freedom. Three of his brothers had been sold south, left his father, two sisters, and one brother. Randolph was worth probably one thousand seven hundred dollars. John was a well-made yellow man, twenty-two years of age, who had counted the cost of slavery thoroughly, besides having experienced the effects of it. Accordingly, he resolved to be free or die, to kill or be killed in trying to reach free land somewhere. Having almost been hired out amongst very hard white people, he was unhappy. His owner, George Coleman, lived near Fairfax, Virginia, and was a member of the Methodist Church but in his ways was very sly and deadly against anything like freedom. He held fifteen of his fellow men in chains. For John's hire he received one hundred and fifty dollars a year. He was therefore ranked with first-class stock, valued at one thousand five hundred dollars. William was about thirty-five years of age, neat and pleasing in his manners. He would be the first selected in a crowd by a gentleman or a lady who might want a very neat-looking man to attend to household affairs. Though he considered Captain Cunningham his master a tolerable fair man, he was not content to be robbed of his liberty and earnings. As he felt that he could take care of himself, he decided to let the captain have the same chance, so he steered his course straight for Canada. Arrival from Unionville, 1857. Israel Todd and Basil Aldrich Israel was twenty-three years of age, yellow, tall, well-made, and intelligent. He fled from Frederick County, Maryland. Through the sweat of his brow, Dr. Greenbury Sappington and his family had been living at ease. The doctor was a Catholic, owning only one other, and was said to be a man of right disposition. His wife, however, was so mean that nobody could stay with her. Israel was prompted to escape to save his wife, had lately been married, and her brother from being sold south. His detestation of slavery in every shape was very decided. He was a valuable man, worth to a trader fifteen hundred dollars, perhaps. Basil was only seventeen years of age, 
about as near akin to the white folks as to the colored people, and about as strong an opponent of slavery as any Saxon going of his age. He was a brother-in-law of Israel, and accompanied him on the Underground Railroad. Basil was held to service or labor by Thornton Poole, a storekeeper and also a farmer, and at the same time an ardent lover of the Cretor, so much so that he kept about half drunk all the time. So Basil affirmed. The good spirit moved two of Basil's brothers to escape the spring before. A few months afterwards, a brother and sister were sold south. To manage the matter smoothly, previous to selling them, the master pretended that he was only going to hire them out a short distance from home. But instead of doing so, he sold them south. Basil might be put down at $900. Arrival from Maryland, 1857. Ordee Lee and Richard J. Booze. Both these passengers came from Maryland. Ordee was about thirty-five years of age, gingerbread color, well-made and intelligent. Being allowed no chances to make anything for himself was an excuse offered for his escape. Though, as will appear presently, other causes also helped to make him hate his oppression. The man who daily robbed him and compelled him to call him master was a notorious gambler by the name of Elijah Thompson, residing in Maryland. By his bad habits he had run through with his property, though in society he stood pretty tolerably high amongst some people. Then again some didn't like him. He was a mean man, all for himself. He was a man that didn't care anything about his servants except to get work out of them. When he came where the servants were working, he would snap and bite at them, and if he said anything at all it was to hurry the work on. He never gave me, said Ordee, a half a dollar in his life didn't more than half feed, so that meat and fish was too high to eat. As for clothing, he never gave me a new hat for every day, nor a Sunday rag in his life. Of his mistress, he said, she was stingy and close, made him, his master, worse than he would have been. Two of his brothers were sold to Georgia, and his uncle was cheated out of his freedom, left three brothers and two sisters in chains. Elijah Thompson had at least fifteen hundred dollars less to sport upon by this bold step on the part of Ordee. Richard was about twenty-two years of age, well-grown and a very likely-looking article, of a chestnut color, with more than common intelligence for a slave. His complaints were that he had been treated bad, allowed no privileges to make anything, allowed no Sunday clothing, etc. So he left the portly-looking Dr. Hughes, with no feeling of indebtedness or regret and as to his cross and ill-natured mistress with her four children, they might whistle at his services and support. His master had, however, some eighteen or twenty others to rob for the support of himself and family, so they were in no great danger of starving. "'Would your owner be apt to pursue you?' said the member of the committee. "'I don't think he will. He was after two uncles of mine one time, saw them and talked with them, but was made to run.' Richard left behind his mother, stepfather, two sisters, and one brother. As a slave he would have been considered cheap at sixteen hundred dollars. He was a fine specimen. Arrival from Cambridge, 1857 Silas Long and Solomon Light Silas and Solomon both left together from Cambridge, Maryland. Silas was quite black, spear-built, and about twenty-seven years of age. He was owned by a sheriff, Robert Bell, a man of about sixty years of age, and had his name up to be the hardest man in the county. 
The sheriff's wife was about pretty much such a woman as he was a man. There was not a pin's point of difference between them. The fear of having to be sold caused his Silas to seek the Underground Railroad. Leaving his mother, one brother and one cousin, and providing himself with a bowie knife and a few dollars of money, he resolved to reach Canada or die on the way. Of course, when slaves reached this desperate point, the way to Canada was generally found. Solomon was about twenty-three years of age, a good-natured-looking article, who also left Cambridge, and the protection of a certain Willis Brannick, described as an unaccountable mean man. He never gave me any money in his life, said Solomon, but spent it pretty freely for liquor. He would not allow enough to eat or clothing sufficient, and he sold Solomon's brother the year before he fled, because he could not whip him. The fear of being sold prompted Solomon to flee. The very day he escaped he had a serious combat with two of his master's sons, the thumb of one of them being badly bit, and the other used roughly. The ire of the master and sons was raised to very high degree, and the verdict went forth that Solomon should be sold to-morrow. Unhesitatingly he started for the Underground Railroad in Canada, and his efforts were not in vain. Damages? $1,500. The mother of twelve children, old Jane Davis, fled to escape the auction block. The appended letter from Thomas Garrett will serve to introduce one of the most remarkable cases that it was our privilege to report or assist. Wilmington, 6th month, the ninth, 1857 Esteemed friend, William Still, We have here in this place, at Comegy's Munson's, an old colored woman, the mother of twelve children, one half of which has been sold south. She has been so ill-used that she was compelled to leave husband and children behind, and is desirous of getting to a brother who lives at Buffalo. She was nearly naked. She called at my house on seventh day night, but being from home did not see her till last evening. I have procured her two undergarments, one new, two skirts, one new, a good frock with cape, one of my wife's bonnets and stockings, and gave her five dollars in gold, which, if properly used, will put her pretty well on the way. I also gave her a letter to thee. Since I gave them to her, she has concluded to stay where she is, till seventh day night, when Comegy's Munson says he can leave his work, and will go with her to thy house. I write this, so that thee may be prepared for them. They ought to arrive between eleven and twelve o'clock. Perhaps thee may find some fugitive that will be willing to accompany her. With desire for thy welfare and the cause of the oppressed, I remain thy friend, Thomas Garrett. Jane did not know how old she was. She was probably sixty or seventy. She fled to keep from being sold. She had been whipped right smart, poorly fed and poorly clothed by a certain Roger McZant of the New Market District, Eastern Shore, Maryland. His wife was a bad woman, too. Just before escaping, Jane got a whisper that her master was about to sell her. On asking him if the rumor was true, he was silent. He had been asking one hundred dollars for her. Remembering that four of her children had been snatched away from her and sold south, and she herself was threatened with the same fate, she was willing to suffer hunger, sleep in the woods for days and nights, wandering towards Canada, rather than trust herself any longer under the protection of her kind owner. Before reaching a place of repose, she was three weeks in the woods, 
almost wholly without nourishment. Jane, doubtless, represented thousands of old slave mothers, who, after having been worn out under the yoke, were frequently either offered for sale for a trifle, turned off to die, or compelled to eke out their existence on the most stinted allowance. End of section 21